The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, change makers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. I am so excited to have my online friend who I'm meeting in in person or almost in person for the first time here, CJ Spotswood. Hi, CJ. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. So I've been following CJ for a few years now. Um, he is known as the Theo nurse on the internet. And, you know, we just became friends. And then I heard about his book. And then I was like, okay, you have to come on the podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about CJ. CJ has um, 10,000 degrees. <laughs> no, <laughs> MSN, APRN, PMHNP-BC. And he'll explain that in a minute also known as the Entheonurst. He is a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner with a practice in central Maine. CJ is a third-generation male nurse and has over 20 years of psychiatric nursing experience. CJ recently graduated from the University of Southern Maine, completing his psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner uh, degree. And CJ's undergraduate nursing degree was from the University of Maine at Augusta, one of 15 nursing schools endorsed as a holistic school of nursing. This curriculum included yoga, Reiki, and various complementary and alternative modalities. CJ is currently enrolled at CIIS for their psychedelic assisted therapies and research certificate program. CJ has been researching and teaching on psychedelics since 2018 which include having twice presented at the American Psychiatric Nurse Association's National Conference on Psychedelics in Psychiatry, an educator for Psychedelics Today, co-authored Psychedelic.Support's Continuing Education Module on Psilocybin, and is a past presenter at the Mount Tam Psilocybin Summit. CJ is the author of the new book that has just come out, The Microdosing Guidebook, a step-by-step manual to improve your physical and mental health through psychedelic medicine, which is available through Ulysses Press. CJ is a member of Open Nurse, Organization of Psychedelic and Entheogenic Nurses, the Psychedelic Medicine Association, and the American Psychiatric Nurse Association. When he's not working, reading, or writing... He can be found spending time with his wife, Megan, and his daughter, Mallory, exploring Maine's outdoors and craft breweries. I love Maine. So CJ, you know, you you do have a lot of degrees, a lot of studies. Um, you just informed me that you wrote a book while finishing up your thesis. I find that to be absolutely incredible and slightly insane. Um, that's a lot of work. So I'm curious to hear your story. How did you get onto this path of being the entheo nurse, um, you know, going into psychiatric nursing and then mixing in psychedelics? We love to hear your journey. Oh, well, to start, I guess I started, uh, I graduated high school with my uh, LPN nursing degree. I did uh, my junior and senior year of high school. I uh, took, uh, I was in, was it like a craft? trade school where I just went half time doing that. My dad was a nurse and my grandfather was a nurse, both uh, psychiatric nurses. So I was like, you know, I might as well try it while I'm in school, spend half the day not taking high school classes, see where it goes. I enjoyed it. Um, And I kind of went back to school, got my associate's degree, wasn't done, went back and got uh, my first bachelor's degree in in psychology, joined a fraternity, went back and like partied it up because you can't really party up too much when you're in nursing school. And then uh, went out and travel nurse, which uh, brought me to to Maine. I'm originally from northern New York, up, uh, yeah, northern New York, up by uh, the Canadian border, and uh, came here. 
like fell in love with the area. It's just a great place. Um, as a travel nurse, and I decided to settle down and, and just live here. I went back at one point and decided I was going to get my um, bachelor's degree, which was at the University of Maine. It was a holistic school of nursing, I did, and I didn't really realize what it was and what it was going to be. I just and how special it was. Here I'm taking classes on Reiki and yoga for nurses, and just kind of like, you know, here at this point I had like 15 years of nursing, which and it's all been psych. And like everyone in my class was like doing stuff, and they're talking about like their medicine and their uh, ICU experiences and things like that. And I was just kind of like, well, let's treat the uh, the psych piece. Let's not forget about the psych piece. Not thinking about, you know, this is like what nursing is. The art of nursing is is mind, body, spirit, the whole thing, and not just uh, medicalizing one thing. So it was just normal for me at that point just to kind of do that, stick with it. And when I finished that, I went back for my psych, uh, my psych nurse practitioner. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, but my uh, mentor for my undergrad, she was um, kind of a hippie nurse at the time. And I didn't find out till much after she had actually written uh, the handbook uh, Cannabis for Nurses that came out last year, which is an amazing book, uh, uh, Dr. Carrie Clark. So it's a book on nursing and bringing in uh, cannabis. And uh, she was the uh, former president of the American Cannabis Nurse Association. So I kind of saw like, here you can kind of do different things with nursing and kind of go off the beaten path. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, not thinking anything of it. Um, but I was I was in uh, grad school. I had a patient come in at one point um, who had his first psychotic break. He was late late fifties, which is kind of outside of the norm of um, when you'd see it. No history of substance use. Worked him up completely medically. Um, started treating him, and a couple of days later, he uh, was still in my care. And he had, as he was less psychotic and came out of it, he was telling me that he was trying to uh, self medicate for his depression. Um, with penis envy mushrooms, which went to, okay, let me learn about this. And this was before Michael Pollan's book came out. It was about uh, six months before that. So I started looking up penis envy mushrooms, which I'm guessing here I was every day worrying about, you know, IT coming down and auditing my, my what I'm looking up at work on the computer going, why, why are you looking this up? Um, but I ended up going down the rabbit hole of that and uh, Dr. Stephen Pollock uh, that came out in the 70s, his studies with mycology and how he was murdered at one point. There's a great write-up about uh, him that uh, Hamilton Morris had done. Uh, and I can't remember the magazine. It was uh, Death Spore, I believe it was called. Um, so it was really kind of like going down that rabbit hole and learning about that. And then Michael Pollan's book came out, and I was just like, okay, there's something to this. And I dug into a lot of the old research at that point from the 50s and 60s and, and really started getting excited and just learning about it. And then when I had a project for school, I started pulling some stuff together. I had to do a research project basically for grad school. And I was like, I'm going to look at it and do more into the psychedelic piece. And I threw in an abstract about psychedelics in medicine for the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. Uh, and I was picked, I was end up picked for a presentation. It was the, in, in, for the, at the national conference, I'm like, what am I going to be expecting? What's going on here? And when they do the, uh, the conferences, they have, uh, pharmacology hours for advanced practice. And you have to have so many of them every year. So when people go to conferences and they're harder to get to, uh, for those specific hours, they're heavily attended. So here I walk into this conference not knowing what I'm going to expect. And I had like 500 people there, like standing room only, literally horseshoe around like there was no one in there. And it was kind of funny because I was sitting in there in the talk and the talk before me was a talk about um, S-ketamine. And a couple of the people sitting in front of me were like, well, I hope the next talk's not going to be so dry. That was kind of boring. And I'm sitting there and uh, I got up to the podium and my, my wife was sitting there and she overheard them and they go, holy crap, that's the guy that was just sitting there. So, and the conference went amazing. The talk went great and it was like well engaged. And it was like, I didn't expect that. I didn't know what to go into thinking I'm going to talk pro drugs, you know, kind of. And it was well accepted. People loved it. And the rest of the conference, people were coming up going, hey, you're the mushroom guy. I remember being on mushrooms before. Uh, a couple of people who had done been in studies and done research back in the 70s before it was illegal. I met some people doing that. And I was like, 
I'm onto something here. Like this is huge. So I started like putting in some more abstracts and doing some more education on it. Um, and then uh, fast forward a couple of years later, I ended up, uh, I had a, a call from someone I'd done a conference with uh, from uh, Dan from the uh, uh, psilocybin summit who had asked me, he's like, Hey, I've got a friend who's looking at doing some information on microdosing. Uh, she keeps getting all these questions. Would you be willing to talk to her about it? So I, uh, her name's Tara Lee Weathers. I'd talked to her and she's like, I've got this project I'm working on, but people keep asking about drug on drug interactions. Can I give this? Can I do that? And all these medical questions she goes, I'm way over my head. I'm, I, I, I'm a coach, but I can't do this. Would you want to jump into this project with me? And I was like, okay, let's, I, I, I'm interested, but I was kind of skeptical initially with the whole microdosing and what it was going to kind of look at. So I started getting into the coaching. I started putting together a handbook for it. And at one point, you know, for my own protection, I kind of was like, you know, I'm not giving any medical advice, but if you, uh, you know, if you, here's all this information in this handbook, bring this to your medical provider, talk to them, uh, give them some information. And if they have any questions, I want to have it all here. And at that point, it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, holy crap, this is bigger than what I'm expecting. This is more than a handbook. Like providers could have this on their desk. If I was doing this, I would want to have something like this to provide for my patients to give them information. And at that point, I just started kind of pitching some ideas to some publishers and coming up with some ideas. And I, uh, uh, Michelle Janikian from the psilocybin uh guidebook, uh, handbook, I talked to her and I got on with her publisher, Ulysses Press, who were like, yeah, we're op we're open to this because it's not uh, that weird to us. Let's go with it. So it just kind of things fell in place absolutely amazing for me, one after another, and it just kind of ran from there. I'm still blown away by the amount of studies and you know training you've had in all these realms. I mean, it's yeah. just incredible that you were able to do all this and publish a book and put this all together. Now, I'm curious. When was your first, you know, psychedelic experience and did that shape anything you, you've put out uh, there? Like, or how did it shape your life? You know, there's the, there's the piece with like in Michael Pollan's book where he's talking about like recreational, what's recreational, what's this and that. Um, it, you know, of course I had some experiences early on, but nothing that was like earth shattering, kind of like therapeutic looking at, you know, big, big deal with it. Um, and I was also on the other end where, you know, I was always seeing people at their worst times. They're coming into my emergency department, you know, not doing well. So it was kind of like, you know, if this is therapeutic, we need to make this safer. And that really kind of um, balanced me to kind of be more uh, approach to it as, you know, we want to safeguard, come up with some plans. But I, when I was in between doing around the time of my presentation and kind of, uh, working on some other things, I had a really great um, experience where I ended up eating uh, some mushrooms, went for a hike on an island nearby. Um, and when I did that, it was kind of like, it was, it, it really set things in place. And as I'm coming down and walking, that's where I kind of came up with the idea of the Entheo nurse and was kind of like, okay, the healing from within and Theo and Theogen and, and nurse this is what I am. And it really just made sense with my holistic background. Like, you know, these substances can be used as a scalpel to kind of get other places in our mind to make the uh, transformative changes. And I was like, this is, this is what it's meant to be. This is what I need to really start focusing on. And really just, it just self-assured me like more than anything. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. I love how it's like these little tiny golden nuggets throughout your mm. path and your journey. So let's hear about your microdosing guidebook, and then we'll go into some specific questions I have around yep. microdosing. Um, you know, microdosing is a huge conversation because it's so much more accessible to people that maybe aren't mm. ready for a five gram dose or even, mm. you know, even something relatively smaller on like the two gram side. But, um, what is the microdosing guidebook all about and who is it for? Is it for, you know, doctors and nurses or is it for the everyday person like me who just wants to understand microdosing and how it works? You know, can you tell us a little about that? 
It's yes and yes. It's both. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, I put it together, you know, the initial piece of for the average person coming in as a handbook, like I want to know more about this. Where do I go? And I, you know, I, a lot of the information in the, uh, the initial parts of the book is not anything that's earth shattering that people can't get anywhere else per se, but it's not easily accessible. Like, you know, Fadiman's open work that he did um, in his research without having um, without an institution, it's out there, but you have to kind of dig through it. You need to kind of go onto his website and look where you're going and listen to his other talks. It's all there. And I, and I, and I thank uh, Jim for his work. Um, and I, and actually it was nice when I'd sent him like the initial draft, I said, hey, Jim, I'm looking at doing some work here. This is what I'm doing. And I kind of got his blessing from it. And he like sends me back a message after he read, he goes, I love it. It looks great. He goes, just the research is kind of looks like for more of the, um, when it comes to LSD, kind of dialing it down to more seven to 13 mics more than, uh, anything else. He goes, there's other people that will tell you it's more than that. But this is based on my couple of thousand re reports I've done. And it was just like, thank you, Jim. Like that, that, okay, I'm in the right path and I have your blessing. That's great. Huge. Awesome. Um, so it's kind of built for the people that really don't know what to do, where to go. And just like the absolute beginner, like what is a mushroom? How do I, you know, how do I end up going from it? How do I measure it? Kind of the, the science of it. Um, and it really goes through, like, I go through more of the Fadiman protocol just so someone can kind of get a relationship. I do explain a little bit of the um, Stamets protocols and the other ways of going, but I really like the Fadiman so people can have that relationship and looking at what the medicine is actually doing as opposed to just dosing every day like any other standard medication that I prescribe people. So it really builds up that relationship and kind of knowing and slowly dosing up and getting an idea. Um, and it really, I go through how to like prepare it and how to um, make it into capsules, et cetera, but also how to manage um, specific side effects like GI upset, sleep upset, um, things like that of um, complications. So if people are experiencing, it's not like, throwing it all out. Okay. How can I, how can I make this a little bit more um, easy for me? And then the second half of the book is for providers. Uh, I went through and kind of went through a deep dive of all of the psychedelic research I could find of drug on drug interactions. Um, since there's not anything really out there specifically of drug on drug interactions when it comes to uh, microdosing, you know, I kind of went Here's what it is for macro dosing. Here's what the research is actually here. Here's what kind of uh, people might say. But I also took it one step further and kind of dug into like the specific like nuances of, well, if this is the receptor it's going to, this is the receptor that uh, the microdosing is working on where you might have some potential like drug on drug interactions, but also kind of like looking at um, specific like uh, – off-label use, like sometimes uh, providers like myself might use antipsychotics for anxiety or sleep or something. So specifically looking at the drugs and why it's important to know it's not just a sleep medication, it's this type of medication, what it is, and where the conversation is. I really went heavy on that second half of the book with citations, so that way providers can go, where the hell are you getting this from? And I had spoken with um, a couple of other people, um, like Ben Malcolm, the spirit pharmacist, went with some of his research and kind of talked to him and bounced some ideas off of him to really, I mean, he is the guy for anyone looking on drug-on-drug -drug interactions. Um, so I really did a lot of his stuff, but I pulled it all together for it really easy. The other part in the, the I forgot to mention in the beginning half of the book was also kind of, uh, you know, what are some conditions uh, that we might be looking at treating either psychological or physical conditions and theoretically why it might work for microdosing, what might be different. But I also um, went into like the research on microdosing and talking about, um, you know, is it a placebo and kind of like differentiating all of that, which is another conversation we can talk deeper at the end, which I'm sure now I'm seeing you might be interested in that. Um, so I really broke it down like all of that. And then the last third of the book is a um, 
week by week playbook, kind of like here's a week and looking at like the biopsychosocial model, you know, what do you have that's affecting your life biologically? What's in your life um, physiologically? All of those types of things to kind of really, as we're doing these changes, like we need, you know, when it comes to any medication for any psychiatric condition, th- the gold standard is uh, pharmaco- pharmacological methods, but also doing therapy. So I kind of went, okay, if someone's not going to be able to go to therapy, here's a little bit of like cognitive behavioral restructuring types of things to kind of really take into consideration and think about it to as they're going. And it builds up week to week to week as you go to really get you thinking outside of your head and where you are outside in the rest of the world. So it really, mm. and I also, there was a great part that uh, my, my partner there, Tara Lee in, in our project really went into like a, a micro mixtape where we pull in music and kind of like coming up with songs to kind of really do with it, which is really a fun aspect too, to kind of like, you can actually do it. And when you're not, you know, if you're listening to music that ties into that, it brings you back to that place. And it kind of really, the program, it, it's like a guidebook, but also kind of a program that really does a lot of different things for people instead of just dose and go like yeah. standard medications are, unfortunately. Yeah, this is amazing. This is a sounds like a very comprehensive guidebook. I, amazing. Um, because, yeah. yeah, I mean, even me as someone who's experimented with microdosing for many years, um, kind of I'm one of those people where it's like, okay, I just feel into it. Sometimes I want mm-hmm. it and sometimes I don't. There is no, um, you know, I don't follow a protocol. I have, you know, one tincture I've been working with for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I've done enough research to understand the very basics, but not to this depth. And now, you know, what I'm wondering is with someone with your background in psychiatric nursing, um, I'm curious what you feel the potential that microdosing really has in our world, um, like, could be. Like, do Mm. you feel that this might replace something in the current model of, you know, masking with, you know, an antidepressant or antipsychotic? Or do you think it's going to be complementary? You know, how do we see microdosing really fitting into our healthcare system, um, psychiatric system, and our society? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I'm glad you asked that because it's really a different question than what I've been ever been asked mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, because I mean, as m- my role now, uh, I've, I've been a, a psychiatric nurse practitioner for a little over a year now, where I'm actually I have a, a patient profile. Of, Around 200 patients I see regularly now, um, wow. and I, I prescribe them medication, but kind of like a lot of the conversation I have is, you know, I can prescribe you a medication to, you know, do this, do that, help with sleep, lift your mood, but it's not going to change a lot. Like, it's not going to change um if you're not having healthy lifestyle uh, things going on. And that's where the other part I, I explained in the beginning of the book is kind of like the biopsycho spiritual model. But I also talk about like the four food groups of good mental health, you know, and medications can't, uh, can't change that, you know, be it diet, exercise, sleep, um, stress, anxiety, things like that. Like you really, you know, a drug isn't going to change that. Yes, a medication might help you with, you know, sleep if someone has a problem with getting sleep, but you need to get sleep regardless. You know, pumping up on caffeine is not going to change that or exercise. Um, and they're all interconnected, you know, they're all affected. And one of the other parts of like diet, like, you know, we have to look at the other part of diet is not just what we physically eat and consume, but the other things, you know, loud noises around us, social media, negativity, things like that. We're still consuming that. We're taking it into because the, you know, the Greek um, Latin base of that for dieta, which dieta, like if you think of someone who's doing um, like ayahuasca dieta, you know, is all those things that we're consuming and the things that we're taking in and they affect us in in many different ways being on a computer with a blue light as you're sitting there late in the evening is problematic you know and these are conversations i have with my with my patients all the time so we need to take into consideration those pieces before everything else you know but when it comes to microdosing 
you know, you'd mentioned about, um, you know, microdosing here, microdosing here and there when you want to. I think that's the kind of the goal is I, I feel for a lot of people. And I've had some really good luck with patients who have told me that they've done it. And, you know, in going through the six or eight week microdosing journey, um, figuring out what your dosage is and where you're at and what you need, also you can kind of build up a relationship where, you know, you might dose once every other week, once a month, every couple of weeks when you feel like you need it, or when you're getting ready to do something special, like go out um, and to be more social or less anxious or whatever. So if you have that relationship with the medicine and you can kind of do that, it it's, it can be completely changing um, because, you know, the, the, these medications, these medicines can do differently by growing the um, – growing how the connections in our brain are and kind of changing everything else. So I think it's, I think that's where it's really going to be different um, and more of a, not just a holistic approach, but a completely paradigm shift with these medicines. And that's where I'm excited to see it instead of just taking a drug and hoping that everything's going to get fixed and then get mad at me because the medication I prescribe is not changing anything when, you know, it's the environment. It's the everything else that they're doing that you know they're not modifying. Perfect, perfect answer. And yeah, you know, I'm one of these people where it's like, well, I'm not struggling with depression. I'm not really struggling with anything in particular. I just feel into, oh, today would be a nice day, or I'm about to do something creative, or yeah, like enjoy dancing or a hike or you know things that just kind of you know adds a little enhancement. But um. Yeah. But it's been interesting because, you know, I, I have a community, I have a Facebook group, and we see people asking these kind of questions all the time, like, can I microdose with this? Or my doctor gave me that, or I'm coming off of this antidepressant, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, literally, I now can just send them your guidebook and say, hey, buy this, you know, like, check I- this out. But um, I, you know, I also want to ask about something you mentioned that I've actually heard almost no one mention except one of my body workers mentioned this a few years ago um, about microdosing for physical, like for yeah. the physical. Um, my body worker who also works with medicines here and there had mentioned something about, you know, the science behind the mushrooms and, you know, I don't, you know, it's like he mentioned it just kind of in passing about like yeah. reconnecting the nerves and then, and then when I'm working on like, cause he sometimes will do, um, his body work with low dose mushrooms. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. Is there a science behind microdosing and healing physical ailments in the body? Like, is that a, a possibility? The short answer is I believe so. Um, mm-hmm. The long answer is, you know, the, when it comes to the, the, the challenge, when it comes to microdosing research is it, there just isn't any, there just mm-hmm. isn't a lot out there. Um, so we, but when we, if you look at some of the, you know, the research and you start going into either the new stuff or the old stuff, um, and I cite it throughout the book is if you look at like, we know that there is a, um, a response at these low doses. When you look at the early research that was conducted in the 50s and 60s, um, and a lot of it was with LSD, when it was able to be done, the zero doses were sometimes low, what we would consider microdosing now, and they were getting some responses with that. Um, There's a research that was done, it came out about a year ago, uh, with LSD for pain management, and it was a microdose, I believe it was around 20 mics off the top of my head, um, that had where people could submerge their arm into ice cold water for a longer period of time, which is to simulate pain response. And it was longer with people who were microdosing than not. Um, When you start looking at some of the research out there for... um, uh, suicide headaches, migraines—they're—they're they're called. Um, there is some research that shows, and there's specific dosing amounts in there, and I put it into the um, in the clinician portion in there for the amounts to really. There's doses that are known that have been able to um, kind of decrease, and if not completely remove um, the the incidence of migraines for people with some of this. You know, if you start looking at some of the research for. Um, macro doses, you know, you're seeing that there's some connections that have been made. The dendrites are um, making longer. And I mean, I think it's easy to um, 
to to make the next stance. Uh, if this is happening with my, with macro doses, why wouldn't it be doing it with micro doses? It might take longer to do it because it's less amount. But is it, it? Why not? Why is it not? Which makes me think also, you know, some of the research that we we were throwing out that we don't find anything. Are we asking the right questions? Are we looking at the bigger questions, uh, or are we just looking at what we're seeing? Going, okay, there's nothing here. Are we missing it completely? Because it might be something that's in the weeds that's there. I don't know. And I think that's where it's going to be really exciting to see. And the other big question I really want to see is, um, I'd love to see if someone did a uh, macro dose and we saw some improvement, will continuing with a uh, micro dose for a little bit of time here and there keep those uh, pathways open, keep the uh, what's grown there to keep that going for longer, just like we see people who have a history of um, macro dosing psilocybin who also do meditative practices. They can get into those deep meditative practices easier because they know where they're going. They know those pathways. Why not, you know, if that's something we can kind of know how to navigate, how to get around, I think it makes logic that, you know, I think we're just ahead of the research at this point. I think that's where it's exciting to see. Uh, that's so, it's so true. I actually was like, yeah, you're right. We haven't actually been researching in that long. This is no. such a new, you know, it's new and ancient at the same time, but it is mm -hmm. such a new field and thankfully it's growing and there's more money and funding and um, science being, mm -hmm. you know, people looking into this and research, but, um, yeah, this is why we need people like you out there talking about this. Um, well, I, I find it's it really also, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think it's also <laughs> exciting too, is if, you know, we look at, you know, antecedent evidence that's out there. Yes. It's not worth a whole heck of a lot, but you know, when I, and I, and I really look at like with Fadiman, when he was collecting the research and talking to people and their responses, I think it's important to kind of see that and kind of track that. So then we know, okay, let's look and explore this more of where it is. I mean, I was at a book signing, um, the other week. And it was, it was amazing. Cause as I'm sitting there talking to this woman, she was telling me about her husband who has, um, temporal, he has, uh, some dementia issues. Uh, and when with anxiety, depression, you know, some of the, uh, inflammation kind of tightens down on some of the blood flow, which makes dementia symptoms worse as he's been, um, microdosing his cognitive ability has gotten better with it as he's been doing it. But he also has some chronic, um, issues where he had a stroke and he was in his seventies. I, I believe he had a stroke with some, uh, right or left-sided weaknesses that were going on. And as he started microdosing, he was able to start feeling his hands, feeling his arms and feeling, you know, outside of there. Meanwhile, he's been working with a neurologist. Uh, she was explaining who they said, you know, if we don't start seeing some improvements with the standard medication in a year, it's not going to come back. At the end of the year, he kind of felt desperate, started microdosing and seeing some improvements. You know, we can't study that. That's not something we're going to be able to study. But, you know, when I'm sitting here talking to a, a woman and her and she's crying about the improvements, her husband, I'm going, some, we're, we're missing something here. Research isn't, research isn't going to catch this. Oh my God. I'm, I'm speechless. This actually, it's funny. I was going to ask about this because my stepfather died in 2019, um, of Alzheimer's and, you know, we watched him steadily, you know, with the decline and it was very quick. And I kept saying, you know, I, I kept sending my mom these articles on this new research. You know, I've actually met Amanda Fielding at the Beckley foundation years ago. And, you know, before the pollen book was published, I was with her and I remember her talking about pollen's book and this research Beckley was funding around, um, you know, potential for Alzheimer's and brain disorders. And, you know, of course, Amanda's famous for, you know, what she's done to her brain. But, um, and I, you know, I wonder, and, and this is my biggest prayer as someone who's been working with these medicines, you know, for over 30 years, um, that there is, a breakthrough in these, you know, like Alzheimer's, something like as it affects so many people. Um, and there's I'm no curious. treatment out there for them. There's, there's yeah, nothing, exactly. there's nothing for medically, you know, the medications <laughs> that are out there, you know, they don't, they might slow it, but they don't it make any improvements. Yeah. And I do, and it and I heartbreaking. That. It is, yeah. it's heartbreaking to see that. And just knowing that there's nothing you can do and you're absolutely powerless. Well, here's my question for you, because this has come up with me. So my mom is getting older and, you know, we watched my stepfather die, her husband. 
And I've started suggesting, you know, I made her watch Fantastic Fungi sitting yep. with me during Christmas. Um, and, you know, it's like, how do you get someone who's almost 80 years old, who thankfully was a former hippie, but of course now is like, oh my God, I would never touch any of these things. You know, like, I can't believe you go to Peru and do these hallucinogenic drugs. Yep. How how do we start this conversation with this, the ultimate skeptics or the ultimate you know, the people out there like our parents that we want to help or people suffering from, you know, like everybody has a friend who's had, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> I was like, can we turn this into a short video? Um, I guess I'll have to send my mom this podcast. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. I, I mean, I, and that's kind of where I felt, you know, spelling it out for the, in the book was kind of like, here's the research that's out there. Here's where it can be. And, you know, for someone who's latched last ditch of tried everything and you're just kind of going, what the hell else is there? What else do you have to lose? You know, um, well, that's, that's yeah, that's that. what we said. When you have Alzheimer's, I said, look, he's already declining. It's not going to last. What else do we have to lose at this point? Let's try something. But, you know, I was like, I was almost going to go in and just, you know, microdose without him knowing. Um, but, you know, I thought that was a little unethical. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, well, there was just someone that just came out, what was it, uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of the uh, parliament, someone in the, the Senate, whatever the equivalent is over in Canada, his wife was microdosing him without his knowledge. And it was like, eh. but he was then <laughs> thankful. So it's like, you know, hmm. so at least with these conversations, if someone's doing it, we can kind of go, okay, someone else is doing it, you know. Here's where we're at. But I think it's just kind of getting people to, to recognize and just looking at, you know, leaning in on the research. And that's kind of where, you know, I've, I've been asked like early on, like, how can you even be doing this and talking about these types of things with people um, as a nurse? And kind of my, my, my stance is one, I would have these conversations with someone who uses heroin, like mm -hmm. we want to do it safely. So mm -hmm. here's what we have to set up for safe use, um, needle exchange, et cetera, um, MAT type of programs. But then, you know, the other part of that is, is here's the research that's out there. Here's what we've got for the, um, what we've seen, what we haven't seen. And, you know, the other piece when it comes to um, psychedelic research is, is the safety pro provided there. It's a safe um, for most people, you know, and if someone, if it's safe, then you have like balance out the harm risk, you know, what is it that you have to lose when there's nothing else, you know, and I have that conversation with, with patients. Now you're already feeling like crap, like, you know, what's, what's worse if we start antidepressant and kind of look at this and go as slowly. Oh, okay. You know, and, and treating them like that. I mean, you know, the, the, the other, the ultimate is, if they don't do it, they're, you know, they're going to keep getting worse. They might die. Guess what happens if they end up microdosing? It might be better. And that's kind of, or even macrodosing when it comes to that too. You know, oh. it was really, it was fascinating. In my talk, um, my CIS program, I was talking with uh, uh, Dr. Bossis, uh, Anthony Bossis, and he was talking about how, uh, so what was we're looking at, you know, we're doing end of life research. What would be, what would you be excited at seeing? What would you kind of like, like to have for research? And he had said, you know, I would love to see having end of life for parents who have a child with terminal disease and you're not dosing the kid, you're dosing the adult because how often, you know, with, with having a child, you want to shield them from everything that's going on. And you can be whispering behind closed doors. They know what's going on. They're having the conversation. And, they, you know, they're just wishing their parent was with them. Now, if you dose, you know, if you do a macrodose session with a parent who now have coped with the loss of their child, then they can be present for their child and they can kind of get over it. And it was just like, oh, my God, that just makes sense. This is actually a big passion of mine because I lost my father um, prematurely to cancer and then my stepfather with the Alzheimer's. When I interviewed Paul Stamets a few years ago, we, he spoke about the end-of-life therapy and the organ initiative. And I was crying during our interview because I yeah. actually feel very strongly about um, – how much this affects our whole society. I mean, we've seen this even with COVID of, you know, the the level of anxiety and fear. Mm. And it's like, well, what if we actually started to change our relationship to death and end of life? Not saying, you know, go get COVID and don't take it seriously, but more around like 
that ultimate fear or losing someone or dealing with a loved one or knowing you have a terminal illness. You know, I've um, I actually just someone I spent time with in the jungle. I just thought about the other day. She she passed away and she was out there working with these medicines to try mm-hmm. to cope with the fact that she had this terminal illness. Yeah. And her death was actually quite beautiful. You know, they mm-hmm. they we someone did a GoFundMe and funded her whole like this big trip she wanted to take. And then, you know, it, it became this ritual. And I personally think that, you know, working in these realms of um, terminal illness and of life, you know, like the anxiety and the fear, like yeah. the ultimate societal fear um, is a huge area of growth. I mean, I'm, I pray that someone's doing work around this. I know there are. I mean, I'm probably going to be, you know, catching slack for this if it's taken out of context. But if you look, you know, we we hold animals at a higher standard than humans mm-hmm. because of the because of you know if a dog's suffering and there's nothing you can do we euthanize them but yeah. we we can't do that in America well in most places you know, Maine finally has passed it Oregon's got it mm-hmm. but we we've 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 we're starting to move in that way um, and it's different you know why why can't we do that why can't we kind of approach that to making you know the the time better the quality of life there and then we can be more present in that way as opposed to you know death being scary and, and the end of life and the palliative that we've got right now mm-hmm. where it could be like you said it could be beautiful yeah it could be present you know you don't have someone on their deathbed who's saying you know I'm glad I did this and this you know I'm glad I I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have like we can have that where the people can arrange that and that's where the end of life research for um for what's out there is people can then spend the time quality with their family because they're not afraid of death. They're one with it because they've already experienced that death, that ego death. They don't, you know, they've already, there's nothing scary about it because they just realize that we're just, you know, pieces of mass in a giant rock spinning around a sun that's, you know, and what else really matters that we're all connected. It is true. We do hold our animals in much higher dignity. Um, so I have a question for you around <laughs> shifting a little bit. This idea of microdosing coaches um, oh. or microdose, <laughs> microdosing coaching. You know, I've had some clients. So some of my clients are, um, you know, integration coaches mm-hmm. or health and wellness coaches or, um, you know, essentially life coaches helping people find purpose, find connection, find themselves, deal with anxiety, whatever it is. And then, you know, some of them, not all my clients, a few, bring in something like microdosing as a tool. Yep. Um, and then we see people out there like offering these programs. What do you what do you think of this? And what do you think of the future of integrating microdosing into things like coaching or even um, one of my former clients was doing like microdosing and weight loss because it worked mm-hmm. for her. Microdosing in health and wellness, microdosing in parenting, microdosing in, you know, we could go on. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I've seen it all too. Like, like you said, yeah. there's always, there's a sub, I, I, I oh, I'm going to tread lightly on this. I know. Um, it, it really, uh, it, and I, and I had put that in part of it when I talked about it a little bit in the book was like, you know, when you're going out for the microdose, when you have these microdosing coaches that are out there where the hell are they coming from? Where are they coming from? You know, other than my experience, my experience of that, which is where I think it's, um, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to diminish what they, what they've done or what people, you know, there's great coaches out there. There might not be great coaches out there. There's great doctors out there. There's not so great doctors out there. There's great anything out there and not so great. Um, and I, I feel that, you know, in some level that works for some people, um, in other levels, it's it can be costly for people where they're just kind of looking for hope and they're pouring money into it. Um, but I think it's I think there's a place for everyone. I think there's a place for people to do as long as they stay within their lane and their their expectation. Like when someone's saying, you know, here's how to, you know stop your medication, stop this, stop that, you know, there's repercussions that can come, you know, there's discontinuation syndromes that can come, which, you know, ultimately if someone stops their SSRI medication too quickly, rebound anxiety, rebound depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, I know, I know people who have, you know, committed suicide after dro- stopping their meds and just kind of like trying to go through it. And that's where I think that there's a, we need to be mindful of that. Um, you know, I, I 
I think that there's a place where people need to have someone to bounce off ideas and get thoughts out of their head. Is that a therapist? Is that a coach? Whatever it is, I think that's a great place for people. Um, but as long as they're not giving medical advice and not selling false hope and kind of really like, well, this is what I did and this is what you need to do too. Well, we're not one size fits all. You know, I, I have those conversations with patients all the time. Like if you feel comfortable, you know, wanting to do something with your meds and, and that's maybe where the other part of that conver- conversation is when I talk with patients, you know, ultimately um, it's not like I'm dictating their care. I'm giving recommendations to them for maybe, you know, we can go up with this medication. Maybe we can add this to it and giving them options. Ultimately, it's up to them. They can take it or leave it when it comes. And I'm talking standard medications that that we're doing because there's an informed consent there. Um, you know, and I say to patients, you know, you're I'm I'm just kind of helping you through here, and here's what I can what I can do to help. But it's up to you. If the side effects are too much or it's intolerable or you're getting weight gain, we can change it. We can do this. We can kind of look at other options. Um, but for someone to turn and go, well, now you need to take you know another you know, go up another 10th of a gram on your microdose and you're going to definitely feel better. Well, what if they're not? Where's the credibility there? Where's, you know, so it's kind of like there's a place, there's a time we need to kind of, you know, look at the grand picture. And, and, and that's where I was really uh, fortunate when Tara Lee had asked me to do the coaching program where I was able to kind of like go in is because she was like, I can't answer these questions. You know, and if, if you're going in on, even on a, um, going on an ayahuasca adventure and you're going to go in and they're, you know, they're not looking at the medical pieces or they're not telling you what's in the brew. There's a red flag there, right? You're like, well, I want to know what's in there. What's the other stuff that you're putting in there? I'm done. I'm scared. I, I want to know what I'm taking. And that's kind of where, you know, when it comes to microdosing, I, I want, I think that people should know what they're, ex- what to expect and what to do, how to manage it, but go from that and, and working with the coach and kind of looking at the big thing. So, you know, there's a good, there's a good and there's a bad, you know, and, and look out for that. Look out for what you're doing and, and being aware of it. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I actually agree. And, you know, I talk to my clients about that and, you know, who's qualified and do your due diligence and really, you know, feel into it, ask the right questions. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's, you know, it's interesting, our society, it's like, our society is just looking for so many of the magic pills, like, oh, well, maybe this will fix it all. And it's like, well, it's a lot more to the story. Um, you know, yeah. it's like you said, it's this holistic diet, sleep, everything. Now, I'm yeah. curious, um, God, I could ask you, I have 10,000 questions, but, um, you know, with microdosing, have you found that um, the strain matters? <sighs> like, there's one strain, because of course you hear about, um, you know, the golden teachers or the penis envies, mm-hmm. the ones that are just popular and easy to grow. Um, yep. but I'm wondering if you've found, or if anyone is doing research, that would be nice to know if anyone's doing research around this strain is good for anxiety or this strain's good for creativity or this. Cause oh. I personally have tried, there was one strain in particular I microdosed with and it used to actually make me cry over and mm-hmm. over and over and over out of nowhere, which, you yeah. know, on a, my microdose, by the way, is smaller than most normal people's microdose. Cause yeah. I'm highly, highly sensitive, but I was like, why is this one making me cry? And then I move to the other one and it's like making me super focused. And then I do a different one and it makes me feel very like connected. You know, it's, I've experienced different, you know, different feelings from different strains. I think, well, the old adage goes, a cube is a cube is a cube unless it's a penis envy. Um, but, and that's mostly because of the strength. I mean, that's where it is. And kind of what I had mentioned, like in the book was, you know, if you go from one supply to another, um, you might have to rechallenge to figure out what your dosing is, uh, either being, a, you know, where you're getting your um, mushrooms from if you're not growing themselves, or if you're going and using, um, you know, if you're cutting up your own blotter acid um, and doing it that way, you get a different amount. It's going to be because, you know, theoretically, a, a, a square of, of LSD should be 100, but it never is. It, it just never is. Um, so who knows what it is? You know, when you cut it up, you might have to rechallenge it. Um, but so what I kind of said was, you know, if you take the whole mushrooms and you dry them down and then you grind them and then get your pre-weight, once you know what your weight is, you at least know you're not getting a differentiation really from stem to caps and going from there. Um, 
I'd love to see the research being done from one to the other and, you know, and people being able to kind of track it. And I think that's where the journaling kind of comes in of what works, what doesn't work and kind of get an idea. Um, but I think it's also, you know, one of the challenges when it comes to plant medicine in general, uh, the challenge when it comes to like looking at legislation is with FDA, we need to have a set standard of whatever it is. And that's where I think we're going to see uh, the challenges with if we were ever to see uh, ayahuasca go, it'd have to probably end up being um, pharmawasca to have that consistency across the um, board. Um, and I think that your listeners are savvy enough to know pharmawasca is the you know the chemical piece of it. Um, but I think that when you start looking at just the research with uh, psilocybin right now, we need to be mindful of all the psilocybin research that's out there um, that's being published is based on um, the psilocin that's being lab produced, where it's the pure versus having the other um, biostatin, niacin, whatever the other ones that are inside of, and the different amounts inside the whole mushroom. And I think that's going to be exciting to see moving forward um, as things happen, because there is some research I had mentioned uh, in there about there was a uh, one strain there was uh, that had. Uh, with marble burying in mice, and it, which is supposed to be for uh, anxiety, it's, it's a symptom of anxiety. And when they had it, I don't remember if it was biostatin, whichever one it was that was in there, the mice did it less when they had this one versus the other one. Um, and if you kind of, I don't like to compare um, a lot of microdosing and psilocybin to the marijuana movement necessarily, but if you look at like the problems that we had with uh, synthetic marijuana being the Marinol when that was years ago, it wasn't very effective with pain management and stuff. And part of the reason was it didn't have the CBD in it. So you start seeing the entourage effect that's going on and all the other stuff that we just don't know yet. And I think that that's one of the challenge with legislation is, is until things get legal, we can't really get the um, in the weeds research that's out there. And all we can do is the um, anesthesia evidence. So maybe the, the thing is, is, you know, for someone, if you're microdosing, it doesn't seem right before you ruled out, maybe trying a different strain and seeing what's out there, it might, you might have a, a better result with it too, because it might just be those strains because everyone is chemically different. You know, I don't know how much of a difference really, um, you know, com I have patients all the time where I have them on SSRIs and I go from one SSRI to another one and theoretically, why do the why does one work than another? I don't know necessarily because some of them it's all basically the same. You know, they're all increasing serotonin in the brain or serotonin norepinephrine, whichever the case is, but they're all basically the same. And that's where the frustration sometimes with treatment resistant depression, like it's tough to say someone's treatment resistant when we've tried three or four different antidepressants that are all basically the same type of antidepressant. None of those are working. Okay, well, are we changing some of the lifestyle stuff that we, you know, mentioned before? Or are we even looking at different types of medication? Are we doing um, transmagnetics, um, stimulation, ketamine, things like that? Because we got to think outside the box of what else is different. I mean, when you look at depression and stuff, we don't necessarily even know what is depression exactly. You know, is it because also there's the, um, the markers of inflammation that are going on? Is that the gut brain biome, which is fascinating to, to go into. And I think that we're going to start seeing that a little bit more. And maybe that's where microdosing might help for people because it has that anti-inflammatory effect, which is different than just um, the, the stimulation of uh, serotonin. And maybe that's where some of it is. I'd love to see some of this research. And I think that uh, it's early on. And I think that's where uh, the excitement of, as we start seeing what Oregon's going to be doing in their legislation, we're going to start seeing some different stuff that's going to be out there. And as we start seeing some decriminalization that's happened, you know, between the couple of places in Massachusetts, Colorado, stuff like that, people can actually start looking at that. Maybe we can start getting some um, research um, IRBs to uh, allow this research to happen and kind of really go into it. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's just fascinating. I think it's going to be exciting to see. That's exactly it. It's like, it's so exciting. It's so fascinating. It's moving so quickly. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll see. And <laughs> I could ask you a thousand more questions around, um, you know, the future. There's a lot of listeners, of course, 
myself slightly included. Sometimes I, I waver, um, between the involvement of, you know, big pharma and, um, patenting strains and patenting plant medicines and, um, you know, what the future holds in store for us. But, you know, I am an optimist and I would like to think everything's going in a positive direction in some Mm -hmm. manner. Um, and I do believe on some level, everybody's out for the good of the whole and wants to see, you know, healing and happiness in our society. Um, well, what we're that's, doing is that's not what I hope. Working. You know, what yeah, we're doing is not working. not working. We have all these medications that are out there, theoretically, you know, as as we have all these other medications that are out there, all these other treatment options, we should be seeing where mental health is getting better. But it's not. Yes. You know, drug drug use is going up, suicide rates are going up, you know, depression's going up. We have all these modern things that keep getting better theoretically, but we're not seeing it on paper. So obviously we're missing something, you know, what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So at least, you know, yes, it might not be optimal, but at least there'll be something different and we can kind of maybe move from there as long as we don't have places like Oregon screwing it up, maybe where we, you know, limits things too much and the big pharma can really mess it up potentially. And then where is it going to go? So I think that, you know, I'm optimistic that they're going to do, and I've had some conversations with people out there, and I think that they're really being mindful of that. I just hope that it continues with that. But what we're doing now is not sustainable necessarily until these things change. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I ended up having conversations with legislation here about the legalization of psilocybin for different things. And I think that there's also the fallacy that people have, well, you know, once FDA starts making approval, we're going to start seeing it. Well, some of these things like whole whole mushrooms are not going to be because they're a whole medicine. Ayahuasca won't be until we start looking at things differently because there's no consistency in what's in it from one to one. Um, and you start, you know, looking at some of the research out there. Um, plant medicines not necessarily researched very well here in the U.S. What I didn't realize was. Um, over in Germany, they actually in the pharma pharmacology um, for pharmacists, part of their education, like thirty percent of it, is just on plant medicine alone. Yeah, it, it's fascinating because I, I end up uh, having a conversation looking at. Um, sometimes I recommend to patients um, lavender oil, um, which can get as a pill for anti anxiety, and it's sold in Germany as the brand name Selexin. And uh, talking with um, Ben Malcolm again, the spirit pharmacist, he had published a paper on it uh, a few years ago, and we were talking about it with the book. And I'd said, you know why like why why is this all these studies coming out of germany of it and they they do studies on it for the whole medicine which then you really look it is amazing because then you're like what else is the other stuff that's there that what is getting kind of uh strained out or siphoned out when we're taking out just the psilocin for psilocybin it's amazing it's um my herbalist uh when i had covid back in the winter i was kind of feeling like the the darkness you know i don't really get depressed but i felt this like weird dark thing that he said was quite typical and you know it's a common side effect and um he sent me some saffron tincture (laughs) And I was like, what? I've never even heard of this, this saffron. And then additionally, he said saffron's actually not as expensive as it used to be because of, you know, something about the production in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and all this, you know, he had the whole history. Yeah. And it was just so simple. But CJ, yeah. um, you know, I'll have to bring you back onto the podcast to talk more because I have 10,000 questions. But I want people to hear a little bit more about, you know, we'll, we'll link to the book. We have a link to your website in theonurse.com. What is it that you offer? Where can they find you? Are you taking, you know, clients, patients, you know, and what do you have coming up this year? Uh, I'm going to be heading over, uh, heading down to Florida. I'm going to be presenting at the um, American Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm going to be doing two talks at that. Uh, One of them is going to be psychedelics and psychiatry, which I've done uh, a few times. And I was asked to do a second one, um, the Forbidden Medicines and they kind of left it open to that. And I, so I went down the rabbit hole of what is forbidden and why and kind of went into the more of the, um, the what makes it forbidden, like talking. So I went into kind of looking at Kratom, ayahuasca, um, some of those more um, 
lesser known or things that aren't necessarily going to be FDA approved that aren't fast line like um, you know looking at uh, the fast line we're seeing with psilocybin past uh, all the research with LSD MDMA even though it's not necessarily psychedelic but I also went into what's exciting is is potentially um, nitrous oxide and how it works similar to ketamine and you never see anyone really depressed on a lot who's you know using tanks of of nitrous but nitrous is used in Canada and over in Britain for uh, in uh, ambulances pre-hospital to help with anxiety as someone's going in like where if we have such an over you know esketamine so expensive because of the delivery system and big pharma's movement okay ketamine itself is relatively cheap of getting a provider which then is it the pump and dump which i hate to versus someone who's doing therapy with it but what about nitrous what about that as an option there's a couple of studies that are preliminary out there it's also a gaba inhibitor so it works similarly where's that going to go so i'm going to kind of put this out to the the conference to kind of get these conversations going and leaves people with some questions but the other part was that's kind of exciting for me is when I was asked to go to this conference, it's in Florida. Um, initially, you know, I'm going, yes, it's exciting, but I'm, you know, as we're having the conversation with my wife, it was like, do I really want to go with the don't say gay movement that's going on in Florida? And I, so I'm going to go and I guess one of the forbidden talks in medicine is talking about, you know, the rights of others and kind of going, hey, we need to kind of look at, you know, these big corporations that are holding these conferences. Let's not be going to places that are doing this and minimizing society and hold you accountable. So I, you know, I feel like that's going to be my podium talk. That's either going to go over really well and be good, or it's going to be shooting myself in the foot. And you know what, if that's the case, so be it. At least I'm going to spur some thought and people hopefully will have an improvement. So that's some big stuff that I've got going on right now. I've got, uh, the uh, CIAS program for the next year, um, part of my project for that, I have to kind of come up with a big paper, which I'm hoping to write a paper on psychedelics and psychiatry, and then hopefully figure out getting that published somewhere if I'm working on that. Um, and then down the road, you know, I'd love to transition into doing uh, private practice, kind of looking at this as legalization changes, either um, – Pre-integration, integration, integration, um, once things get legal to actually work with the substances, even uh, if I have to go with ketamine for the time being, I don't know. But I'm kind of doing that right now, um, doing more of an approach uh, for educating uh, providers themselves, just kind of get the word out there um, instead of just getting, you know, popular media that's talking about it, but actually getting in and talking at these professional conferences just saying here's the research here's what out there you know i'm not just making this up here's where to go get more information and just get the awareness that's uh get the word out basically so that's really what my big thing is and you know i'd love to kind of go over some more and come up with more ideas i just don't know so yeah i i i've got a couple things also with like psychedelics today coming up and things like that but you know it's I'm an educator. I, that's what I'm, I really, I enjoy it. I love it. And when I can kind of get into making this as a full-time type thing, I'm very hopeful once it's legal. That's the, the, the part where I can't, you know, put my license on the line, but I can mm. teach and teach and teach. So I'm glad that, that we have yeah. outlets like this with you to, you know, get these conversations out there. Yeah, it's so important. I'm like, oh, I could do a whole podcast interview with you talking about the the problem with um because I actually have a lot of clients who are nurses, doctors, therapists, and then there's the license issue, and then there's their beliefs on like, but I yeah. know this can help, and it's like, how do we come to terms? And it's actually come up during a lot of interviews around this idea of like the underground and how do we make um make this medicine and the healing more accessible, and then that's like a whole major issue. But that's why we have you out there on these podiums talking to providers. This is amazing. Ah, I think the more that we talk about it, it's going to be great to get the, uh, get people out of the psychedelic closet and making these normalized conversations. I mean, when I started talking about this, you know, 
five years ago, it was like, why, how can you do it? Why can you do it? Like, this is unheard of. But then when I had like Michael Poland's book sitting on my desk, conversations were started naturally from that. So I think it's just a matter of getting these word out there and slowly changing it. And we're seeing it. We're slowly, I I would have never thought we're where we are now already, like in popular media and having the conversations with, you know, legislation across the board and having these conversations. But I think it's, it's coming and it's coming quicker than we even, my head's spinning and I, you know, I haven't been in the, the weeds of doing this like you have for as many years, but it's amazing. And it's just breakneck speeds. Yeah. Well, you're doing great. And I'm so glad you came on and talked about this. And thank you so much for publishing your book. We have all your links right here, including the link to the microdose guidebook. Take a look. And especially if you're interested in really understanding microdosing, this is it. You know, the, the best thing you can do is educate, listen to CJ, follow him also on social media. He's been a riot to follow. And, um, you know, hear him. And sometimes he chimes in, in my Facebook group. So CJ, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to share all this amazing wisdom. I can't wait to see what's going to blow up for you and all the educating you do in the world. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I would love to come back when Morris is there. I mean, this is, this is amazing. I, I thank you for this. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times. 